Um, why don't we just turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, that's where we'll be this morning. Philippians 2, uh, we're going to go to about verse 18. I, guys, I sent you an email just to remind you guys, if you're not on the distribution list, just let me know. Um, I try to get out by Tuesday. Uh, I know we post on our Facebook, Twitter page, but a lot of you guys don't check that uh, either. So I'm starting to send out an email, just the text will be in so you can read it and, uh, and prepare for our time together on Sunday mornings uh, as we go so you're not just guessing. Uh, that's not to guarantee that I'll be in that text when you show up, but it's at least to get you going and rolling uh, because God kind of stops me when I stop in my study and he keeps me going sometimes. So I don't always know where I'm going to ultimately end, but I usually have a good idea. So uh, why don't we pray and then uh, we'll ask God to, to just show up and uh, to teach us this morning. So God, thank you that, that you're the God of the universe. Um, God, remind us of that God we, we thought of and envisioned in, uh, last week. God, the, the God who is Jesus, who's equal with God, he's equal in form, he's equal in essence, he's equal in nature, that God who considered equality with you not a thing to be grasped, not to be held on to for his own selfish exploitation, but became a servant, was tortured for our sake, took on our sin, died in our place, rose again, gave us your spirit, offers salvation and empowerment in walking and working out this salvation that we've been given. Uh, God, I pray that the weight of the text this morning would, would fall on soil that's, that's ready to listen. God, protect us from ways the enemy would love to come in and maybe snatch away truth, um, truthful seed. Uh, God, I pray our hearts would have soil that is deep and fertile and ready. And continue to transform us by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 2. Just wanted to, to say as we, as we get going that um, just to see Jesus growing and shaping you all has been unimaginably exciting and encouraging just to receive emails and notes and to talk to you guys and, and just hear about it. Specifically, kind of the last three weeks as we've been in Philippians, I know uh, probably if you've been here at all, uh, no, one's, no one escapes the text we've been in. I know I've been saying, I, I've been getting crushed all week long studying them. Uh, just growing a body of, of humble people that, that kind of fight for the right things and love Jesus and strive side by side. And I'm just Super encouraged at what God's doing in, in your lives, in your hearts, the ways that he's actually testing your motives, testing your desires, testing even some of your disciplines and, and, and the things that you worship above him, making good things ultimate things. It's just been great to see God doing that. So let's rejoice in that together and continue to pray that God would form a people here uh, that is humble and not proud, uh, a posture of people here that is uh, unified and not divided um, so that God will continue to use us for his glory. Um, if you're dropping in, last week and kind of the, the, the beginning weeks, Philippians was a letter that, that this guy Paul wrote. Paul's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. And, and basically this, this letter is written in his second uh, two-year imprisonment term. His first two years was in Caesarea, and he's now in Rome. He thought he'd get to Rome to preach the gospel in a more open way, not in a confined way like a prison, but that's how he finds himself. And what's awesome is we're seeing that even though he's in a a Roman prison, chained to a Roman prison guard, right, that changes every couple hours. He gets all these different guys in. He's leading people to Christ by his conduct, by his words. Um, people are trusting in the risen son of Jesus. Now, people hated Paul because he was preaching about this criminal that they killed who he claims to be the son of God, who's a good man who offers salvation. So that didn't mix well with the Romans, okay? And so they don't like Paul. He's in prison here. Um, he thinks he might get out, but we know that he doesn't ultimately get out. Um, and so he's writing this letter to this group of people at Philippi who he loved. Uh, he had an endearment for this church that was unlike, really, I think, any others that you see in his letters to churches. Uh, it's very personal. It's very endearing. It's very loving. It's very affectionate. 
And uh, we, we looked at Acts 16, the church that started with Lydia, this business executive. Uh, we saw this slave girl who was demon-possessed, who in the name of Christ was delivered and forgiven and raised to life in Christ. We see this jailer uh, who was also uh, made new in Jesus. They kind of start this church, and the church just grows. Um, and so we've been seeing that this gospel takes a bunch of people that probably wouldn't hang out together normally and unifies them. Then they do life together, and then they're a light to the nations and the ends of the earth. So there's also kind of another theme in Philippians that, that I hope you're seeing in here, and that's maturity. That, that the Christian walk is not a walk where you kind of sign up for a, a listing to join a family or just kind of say something that's get, that gets you fire insurance for eternity when you die. No, you actually grow in the Jesus that you trust in. That you don't, you don't, just, you don't just pray something and then, and then Jesus saves you, then you look no different, you coast through life and you get to the gate to heaven and say, let me in because I bartered with you. No, you say, no, I, the evidence of my transformed life is helping me see and grow in maturity as the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk. So we should always be growing in Christ-likeness, right? We should be constantly conforming more to the image of the Son. And you're going to see that this morning in the book of Philippians, uh, starting in verse 12. And what Paul's going to show us is a lot of what he showed us last week, which is Okay, if the person has truly understood the grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, what's the posture of that person? We saw that they don't get spiritual swagger, right? They become very humble. They look to the interests of others. And how do you look to the interests of others when by nature we're self-centered with rivalrous hearts, with conceited hearts, with ambitious hearts for our own glory and not God's? How do you do that? You look at the humility displayed in Jesus, Right, This amazing picture of humility that Paul painted last week. And so here's what he's going to show us this week. is, is conform, he's, he's going to show us how what a life looks like that's humble still. Okay, Because understand, this text we read this morning is directly tied to a life that walks lowly and humble and not conceited and proud. Okay, so you, you can't do this with your Bible where we read text and we get to another verse later on and go, okay, well now this, this verse is void of what I just read. Okay, you let scripture interpret scripture. So we're going to keep the flow. We're going to keep walking and see what Paul might reveal to us. Verse 12, here's what Paul writes. Therefore, in light of everything we just heard the last couple of weeks, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, don't forget this text is directly tied to walking and living humbly and not proud. And it's also directly tied to the display of Jesus Christ we just saw last week. So what's, what's Paul getting at first? This isn't going to be natural, okay? To work out your salvation, to want to grow in Christian maturity. Okay, you're going to have to work at this. Okay, and he, and he says this weird kind of thing here that, that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Now, let's remember a few things. Right before this, Paul showed us this amazing display of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? We saw this God who, who was, I mean, eternally in heaven, that he not only makes creation, but he sustains creation. He keeps it going. He actually held the fibers and the people that beat him and let them keep whipping him and beating him when he was going to the cross. And in his life, he was exalted, but he lowered himself. He washed the disciples' feet. We saw this just mind-blowing picture of humility in the God of the universe, 
Okay, so, so here he, he's going to tie all that together. As we saw Jesus exalted, right, above every name. Why? Because God's doing what he's always been doing. He exalts the humble. Well, Jesus displayed the most ultimate picture of humility, so he exalts him to the highest place. Where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And here in light of that, Paul says this interesting phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Jesus was the example of a mature life, a perfectly obedient life, right? What we just saw in verses 5 to 11, right? Jesus was the picture of someone who modeled consistent submission to God perfectly, right? And so here he says this. Now, there's a corporate sense to this, for sure, which we're going to see in the following verses, but let me just talk about the individual sense just for a minute. Because this, is, this, is, this, this text is huge, and it's also been used to train wreck people, okay, in bad ways, all right? So, but it's also a good warning for us. So let's talk about this for a minute. Number one, notice it doesn't say there, work for your salvation, okay? Okay, so, so just listen. Paul's not talking about you losing your salvation. So if you're one of those people that, that actually tries in your fear to find texts that will actually show you that, yep, see, God doesn't keep us. This isn't one of them that you like to use. Okay, he says work out your salvation. Okay, he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out this salvation with fear and trembling. And remember, Paul already made this clear in chapter 1. What do you say in chapter 1, verse 6? Right? God started the good work in you, right? And he's going to keep you to the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so he's not bait and switching on you and now saying, oh, and actually you got to do this thing on your own. You're the one who keeps it. No, God starts it, God sustains it, and God finishes it. Okay, Paul's already been crystal clear about that. He's talking about this other understanding of actually working out your salvation. Now, let me, let me, let me address something before I get into what Paul's saying is There's this theology and just this understanding that that started being taught, and I don't know when it started being taught, but at some point, post the resurrection, there started being this this thing going around in the church that said that this is all that salvation is. You, You pray a prayer, you accept Jesus into your heart, and then when you die, you go to heaven. And that's it. That's salvation, right? And, and, and this is actually what I would say a majority of people understand when they think of salvation. They think that that is solely all there is. Now, here's my question to you. Would you come to that conclusion by reading your Bible? Listen, I'm not saying that there isn't a point in time where God opens your eyes to your sin, where God opens your mind and your heart to, wow, I mean, I am sinful in light of a holy, righteous God. I need to repent of my sin and turn to Christ. I'm not not saying that doesn't happen. I'm not even saying that there isn't a a moment where you're saved. Absolutely. The Bible is clear that there is a moment where the Holy Spirit indwells you and saves you and justifies you before God. But there is nothing in the scriptures that will say that you just sit around and that's your fire insurance. And then one day I just get to enter the gates of paradise. <laughs> there, just read First John. right? Just read Paul. Just read 
every letter in the New Testament. What does Paul say? Keep at it. Right, right, work it out. Right, yeah, you're saved, but you don't, that doesn't call you to sit on a dock and just sit on the, the beach and watch seagulls the rest of your life. No, you're hungry to grow in holiness. Right, you're hungry to grow in Christ-likeness. So listen, we've got to be so careful that we're understanding salvation. We've got to be so careful that, 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 that we don't have unbelief and deception that, that we think, yeah, we're good because I just set a chant. That, that's my, my fear for so many believers or non-believers or Christian people is that this idea of working out your salvation is lost. I don't need to take growing in godliness seriously. I prayed when I was five. Really? Because the Bible will say differently. Now, I'm not even talking about, look, you guys, some of you guys are going, oh, Romans 10, 9, right? Confess your mouth to Jesus, Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved, right? Yeah, absolutely you will. Now, now, but do you know that when Paul was saying that in his society to these Christians, that to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord could kill you on the spot? That executes, okay, so, so even confessing and admitting that you're a Christian is different today than it was when he wrote that. Now, you're still saved the same way, right? You believe in Christ, you trust in his sacrifice. Listen, I'm going to show you. I'm not talking about works-based salvation before you throw stones and say, oh, Mike, Mike's talking about how we got to earn it. Paul's not saying that, just clarified that. But I'm saying, he says, there's this idea where you want to work out this salvation that was given to you freely by God in Christ. And the true Christian will work out their salvation. The one whose eyes have been opened by the sovereign work of God will stay open and they'll be continuing to see the work of Christ in their life. Because here's the thing, this whole idea of the decision, I can make a lot of decisions about a lot of stuff, right? I can tell you, well, I'm gonna love my wife this year. I'm gonna eat really well this year, right? But... I'm going to prove that decision was serious by the whole year, right? I mean, we make decisions about stuff all the time, but it's the, the, the big issue is not your decision. The big issue is the transformation and evidence of Christ working in you. That's the big deal. Well, like, like that's where we celebrate. That's where we want our hearts to look. That's why Paul will say in Corinthians, examine yourself. Test yourself. Make sure you're in the faith. That's a good warning. We don't like hearing it because we love a God who we can just say some things to. He's at our bidding. You come into my life, and then you're on my terms. Nothing in the scriptures will say that. Say you're bought with a price. You have a new master. You're surrendered to him. He calls the shots now, right? I mean, this is, this is weighty stuff, but it's It's beautiful. Because why wouldn't we want to be tied to and follow the God of the universe? When every command of his never leads to death or damage, but to deeper life and joy. Why wouldn't we want to follow him? Why wouldn't we want to work out this salvation with fear and trembling? So, so there is this time where we make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. But then the rest of your life is actually following him. 
I mean, think about this just for a second. I mean, how many of us have been taught growing up in church, I just make a decision for Jesus, and then that kind of locks me into heaven, and then I, I, at the end of my days, I get to see him and be with him when your life looks nothing like him. So, so you claim in your decision to say, I want to follow him, I want to submit to him, I want to love him, I see what he did for me, I see the grace dis, dis, you know, displayed for me, but, but then you don't actually follow him. That makes no sense. So guys, this is such a good, loving warning from Paul. And listen, he's talking to Christians, right? He's not telling people how to get saved. He's saying, hey, keep working out this salvation with fear and trembling. So Paul's not saying you can lose it. He's reminding them it's a persevering walk. So God opens your eyes you repent of your sin, he indwells you with his Holy Spirit, then you're empowered by his Spirit to work out this salvation. It's actually the word we get for mining. Okay, you know how miners go in and they want to dig out of caves all the, all the, the diamonds and jewels, right? They just, they just go out, they want to they get all the riches out of it. There was this guy named Strabo, Strabo. He was this guy born in the first century. And he, and he talks about how the Romans had these caves in Spain that they would mine. That's where we get it from, where they would just, they would just mine out everything. See, this is the language that, that Paul's using. I mean, I just want to know everything it means to be a child of God, right? Like, I, I just want to dig in there. I mean, I, I want to know everything it means to walk in holiness. I want to know everything it means to, to really to put my sin to death and clothe myself with the Christ I've been given. I want to know what it means to positionally be seen as righteous and then walk practically in ongoing holiness and righteousness. You just want to mine all of that out, right? The, 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 the new Christian wants to do this. Like the new believer loves doing this. He loves discovering more about what it means to be a son or daughter of God. He's not doing it because he's earning favor. He's not doing it because he's earning merit. He's not doing it because he thinks now God's going to look more favorably at him. He's doing it because that's him. Right? You've been given a new heart. You've been given a new mind. You, your desires are changing. Guys, this is like, I feel like for some of us, I'm so afraid because I think this is like new. And I think if this message was, was given to more, people would be like, what? When if we just open up our Bible, this is what we see. The, the, the process of continuing to follow after Jesus and put sin to death and love him because he's given us the ability to become who we already are. He's already made you right before God in Christ, and now we are empowered to look like that and become more like him. This is such a, 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 a beautiful verse that he gives to us. So, man, show me, God, all the fruits of the Spirit that are mine. I love it. I love the fruits of the Spirit because, because you can do these things now. Right? Self-control gentleness, all, all the things, even what we're going to get into, not grumbling or complaining, yeah, they're all things available to us, living and looking like a new creation as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So, man, do you just want to mine out your salvation that you've been given in Christ? Do you, want, do you even want to work out your salvation? Because the Christian does. And I want you to notice a word here. Work out your own. Is your salvation your own? It's an important question for us, right? 
I know, I know some of you guys love coming here with your parents, right? Some of you guys love coming here with your spouse. Right? You, you're, your spouse is maybe the more religious one, so you come with them. Some of you guys, you come with your grandparents. No, no, I'm not asking about your family. Is your salvation yours? Not your spouses, not your families, not your parents. Is it your own? Is your salvation your own? Because, see, Paul's saying, hey, I'm absent now, right? I'm not with you. You can't vicariously work through me. Or you got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, it's, it's got to be, be yours. So, guys, is, it, it, you got to try so hard to kind of put yourself just with you and him. Is your salvation, what, what you claim to know about Jesus, is, is it your own? Not your parents, not, not, not church at Bergen's, not Mike Reed's, not your pastors, not anyone else. Is it your salvation? Is that, is that what, what you know and understand? That, is that what you're working out in, in Christ? Because there is going to be a day where we stand before the living God of the universe. And he's going to say one of two things. He's either going to say, you're mine. I know you. Right? I saved you, man, and then, and then I sustained you, and then I walked with you, and I, and I finished your great salvation because of my Holy Spirit that, that kept you and enabled you to keep going, to keep fighting sin, to keep walking in my love. Right? I enabled all that by the power of my Holy Spirit. And then there are others he's going to say, I, I never knew you. I, I knew your mom. Yeah, I, I, I knew your pastor. But I, I didn't know you. See, see, are you living vicariously through someone else's salvation? Like, like, do you think that by coming to church at Bergen, this makes you right before God? Because I even know people are like, man, but I attend church at Bergen. Man, I'm a part of what they do, man. I gather on Sunday mornings. I, man, I love that, man. We're doing all this great stuff, and we're moving, and people are getting changed and transformed. Yeah, church at Bergen doesn't make you right before God. Jesus makes you right before God. So please don't make any mistake. It's not, it's not about you even being a part of a, of a church. Is your salvation yours? And if it's yours, are you hungry to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? You know what's so encouraging to leadership here? When we see you guys starting things and initiating things that we don't ask for or initiate. It's your own. You're just gathering with other brothers and sisters and studying the Bible. You're just gathering with other people and, and talking about how you can grow in Christ's likeness and pray together and, and work out this salvation, right? We don't, we're not having to force you to do that. It's beautiful. It's such an awesome, freeing thing. It's yours. It's your salvation. And Paul links it to, we do this with fear and trembling. Now listen, this is really important. He's not talking about this thing, this working out salvation that produces anxiety. Okay? Because he's going to say later, hey, don't be anxious about anything. Okay? So he's not, he's not combating his own words. You've got to understand Paul's Jewish roots to really understand what he's, what he's saying here. The, the, when the people worship the God of Israel, fear and trembling was never dread or fear of God. It was actually awe and reverence for him. So he's saying, as you work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling, there should be awe and reverence in that. Okay, why? He, he answers it in verse 13. 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now some of you guys read that and you go, that's not a big deal. I mean, I mean God works through me. You want to know why that's not a big deal? Because that's another phrase we just throw around. Oh, that's really neat. That's really cute. God's going to work through me. Hold on, hold on. The God of the universe is going to use my body to fulfill his plan and purpose. I mean, I mean you got to go back to, to chapter 2, 5 to 11. You got to go back to those verses. I mean, that God who, who breathed existence. Right, who creates everything, who by the word of his power says a word and stars and the sun and this earth and you are made. Okay, this God with ultimate power who is, is in on a throne, right, with a robe that fills the temple. This Jesus Christ who comes, embodies as a form of human, as a servant, lives this life. Hold on. That massive, mind-blowing God is going to use me? Like he's going to work through me? On reverence. What? I mean, there should, be, there should be much fear and trembling at that. That's not cute or neat. That is amazing. That is awe-inspiring. That, that causes reverence. That causes your heart to bubble up with wonder. That God's going to, hold on, fulfill his perfect plan by using an imperfect, messed up, stumbling and falling pastor to accomplish his perfect will according to his good pleasure. That, that's why we work out this salvation with fear and trembling, with awe and reverence, because it's that God who's working through you and out of you. Amazing. I mean, when was the last time you just stopped to consider that? We, we just, 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 just shut everything away and go, hold on, the God of the universe is working through me. And it, I want you to hear something. It's, it's not he'll use you how you want to be used. It's he'll use you how he wants to use you. So, so, so here's my, my question. Are you okay with how God wants to use you in this local church? Not how you want to be used. Because this is salvation, right? Surrender, right? My wants, my desires, my dreams, my, okay, it's all yours. I got a new master, I'm bought with a price. It's Jesus by his blood. He rescues me and he ransoms me from myself, from my own worship of myself. Okay, I'm at your disposal. So, okay, you want to use this body? You want to use this vessel? Okay, how do you want to use it? I mean, I got ideas. I mean, I got, I got thoughts. I mean, I, I think this is how, but you, you tell me. Are you totally submitted to that? Because you'll find joy in the deepest, most surprising place if you live that way. When you can just say, okay, I, I don't care, because that's, that's joy at its best. Saying, yeah, God, you just you use me how you want. I mean, that's the joy of the Christian life. I don't call the shots you do. I mean, how, how is it that you want me to be used for your good pleasure, for your good will, right, to be used at all? Guys, guys, to be used at all is of cause for the greatest celebration, Right? To be used at all, like, like to even speak one word of encouragement to a brother or sister is worth it. 
Well, like, just, just, I'm, I'm telling you, you got to get down the ground, because this is how this faith family, Paul is trying to get us into how we're cultivated, how we're created. If, imagine if everybody had this understanding or thought walking around as a church, right, as the people of God. I mean, I mean even the smallest act of God using me is, is cause for celebration. It's not about me becoming an elder or a deacon or leading this or leading that or being in charge of this or in charge of that. No, no, it's about you being used at all, right, for his good pleasure and plan. That creates joy and celebration, I, I, I mean, we could just sit here. I, I don't even, I'm just, I'm so excited about this. This is, because, because if we're not careful, we'll get so discouraged. Because if you think this working out your salvation is about you doing it, you'll burn up real quick. But if you realize, man, no, this is about the God of the universe working in and through you and empowering you by his power that is endless and ultimate and unceasing, that God holds his promise Right here, he girds the reason we can have utter confidence in working out our salvation is because he initiated it, he presently sustains it, and he ultimately will complete it all by his indwelling power. God uses you. God fuels you. And then Paul continues this theme of working out your salvation. This is, this is how it works practically. Verse 14, no one, has, no one struggles with this. Do all things without grumbling, or questioning, right? We're all like, oh, cool, man, I'm good now. I mean, yeah, you, you got me on the first, you know, text, but this one, I'm, I, that's what I said this week. I don't, I don't ever grumble. I don't ever question. No way, man, I was crushed. Okay, it, now understand, understand something here. When Paul says questioning, he's not talking about you asking good, sincere questions. Like the Bible will tell you repeatedly you should discern truth. You should ask things. You should, you should question things, what you hear. Okay, that, he's talking about questioning like whining. That's actually the better translation. You're just a, you're just a whiner. Like a, like, a, like a toddler. You know when they just question everything? Why are we doing this, Mom? Why are we doing this? That's what it is, right? This, 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 this grumbling questioning where you're just whining and complaining. Those of us that have toddlers or, or have had children at all, right, we know what this is like, right? Just the whining, you're like, oh my gosh, stop it, right? That's the idea, just this grumbling and this whining and this complaining. And so let's just talk corporately here for just a second. Let me share with you a way that you can quickly lose your joy and damage the work of God in this faith family. Just grumble and complain a lot. You want to just be a, a root cause of damage in a church? Just grumble and whine. Like, like th- this is, because clearly quarreling and whining was having an issue in Philippi. Now, it's no surprise that this was going on, right? I mean, imagine, okay, Lydia, right, the business executive, we saw that got saved, Acts 16. You don't, you don't think she had opinions and preferences and thoughts? Right? And then and the slave girl who was demon-possessed and freed by Christ, you don't think she had a position or a perspective? You don't think the jailer happened? Of course they were grumbling. Of course they were whining. Right? I mean, this isn't something new. We, we all do it, guys. Right? We can all be humble enough to say that. Things, oh, I want this. I mean, that's just, that's just in us. That's, that's just the residual effect of the fall in us. We love to grumble and whine and complain. He's saying, hey, no, let, let's, not, let's not do this. So let me just talk pastorally just for one second. Do you know what fruit of the Spirit dissolves grumbling and whining quicker than anything I know? Gratitude. Just being a grateful person. 
So, so here's just a good question. Do you spend more of your time grumbling and whining or expressing gratitude? Like what, what's, what's the regular kind of beat of your heart? Are you, are, you a, are you a grateful person? Because remember, this is all tied to the beginning of chapter 2. The proud person, the conceited person, the rivalrous person grumbles and complains, right? But, but the, the humble person is grateful. The humble person is just blown away. And, and listen, if, if you grumble and complain a lot, a lot, here's what's true of you. You're not a grateful person. That's just the reality. I've had to say that in my own heart, guys. I'm not talking to you. I mean, when I find myself grumbling and complaining, it is always intricately tied to, okay, listen, life works best not when we want more of something. It's when we're already grateful for what we've already been given by God in Christ. So, so if I sit, my life going, man, I'm just grateful for what God's given me, right? I don't sit and grumble and complain, right? Marriage will work best when you don't grumble and complain about the shortcomings of your wife or your husband. It works best when you're just grateful that God gave you them, right? When I can think about the, the strengths in my wife and the, and the ways that she's wired that just encourage me and grow me, man, that makes me a happy man. I don't grumble and complain. So, so what's, the, what's the posture of your heart? One that grumbles and whines or ones that is just grateful at what God has given you. See, gratitude steps you outside of yourself. And that's why Paul knew in this gospel community that, that by being grateful, we work towards this unified gospel community by looking to the interests of others, by being grateful for them. Be thankful for the person that just nags you. Happy Sunday, right? I mean... <laughs> Doesn't that just make you so happy, that person in this faith family that just gets under your skin, right? Don't act like you don't have them. Come on, right? I mean, that, but, but you, all of a sudden we say, hold on, God, thank you for giving me that, that person. Because what are you trying to teach me through that? What are you trying to change in me and mature me in? Because it's not about me just staying the way I am. It's me look, looking more and more like Jesus Christ. So how can I be grateful for actually the ways maybe they push me a little bit? Probably, I mean, <laughs> there's any, I mean. This happens every week for me, right? But I, I'm so thankful, genuinely, because it makes me a better pastor. It, it pushes me. It encourages me. It motivates me to learn how to be a better shepherd. I don't have this thing all figured out. And so we, we become grateful people. Look at why. This all flows, verse 15. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is what this living does, right? Naturally. Holding fast to the word of life. So Paul is just continuing this theme of Christian maturity. Right? He's, just, he's continuing this whole thing of, of what it means to grow in Christ. So this is how one lives when they beheld the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are they going to be perfect? No. Are they going to grow in it? Absolutely. Are they going to continue to work out their salvation? Yes, they are with awe and reverence and he's laying before us what should mark us as a Christian community compared to the community of the world that's twisted and crooked. So we're the world's generation that says, hey, I'm God, it's all about me. We're humble and say, no, I'm not good. I know the God who created all things and I'm submitted to him. 
right, in, in, a, in a crooked, twisted world that's just rivalrous and they're at each other and their conversation's negative, we're a different faith family that's encouraging, constructive, striving together, not grumbling or complaining. Like, you're, you're just showing, hey, we are set apart from the world's community. This naturally sets us apart. This naturally makes us shine like stars. We stand out in humility. So Paul's saying, don't grumble or whine because you're a child of God. Like, like do, don't do it for your own sake so you can stand out. Like, that's one of the fundamental reasons we, we don't do that. And the other reason, actually, let me first just mention something because I think we might miss it here. Paul is not describing the way you become a child of God, okay? He's talking about people who are already a child of God and how that works themselves out in the community of faith, in their conversation, in their life. He's talking to children of God. He's not saying you gotta be innocent, you gotta be blameless, and then you're gonna be a child of God, and this is how you act, okay? We've gotta keep coming back to that. Jesus already did it, we were already taught that. Paul already went through that. Jesus makes you righteous, Jesus makes you innocent, but now we wanna be blameless, Right? We want to work out this salvation with fear and trembling. Man, I want to be blameless because I want to stand out and I want to be unified. Right? The, this is just the heart of the Christian. Like We don't have to overthink this. The, the Christian heart longs for this and wants to see this in their own heart. So living a grumble-free life doesn't make you right before God. Not whining doesn't make you right before God. Jesus makes you right before God. And then he causes us to live a grumble-free, non-whining, unifying life that looks to the interests of others in humility. So we work out our salvation by not grumbling or whining for the sake, for our sake, because we're children of God, we want this. The other reason we don't grumble or whine is for the world's sake. I love it, he says, in the midst of. When everyone else is grumbling and whining about the economy, you go, well, I'm okay, I'm in Christ. I mean, money's not my ultimate God, so the economy goes, I'm fine, because... Christ has all things. When the world's grumbling about the government, right, well, well I'm okay because I know the one who put him in office, and I'm the one who's in charge of the office, and I'm the one who's going to actually sustain the office and bring all things to completion according to his plan. Nothing can thwart God's plan or purpose or will, so I'm okay. I don't grumble and whine about that. <laughs> I take gratitude in what I already know it's true. And all of a sudden, what does that do? It sets you apart immediately, right? I mean, I mean that should be ever-present right now, right? It's just conversations in the office or at work. It's, it's, I mean, distinction should naturally happen by what we know and what we understand with who we are in Christ. So we're secure. I mean, it's just money. The economy is just money. Like, like God, it's, God owns all the money. I mean, politics? Like, God's not up there going... I can't believe he's president. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't. I mean, will you Christians do something? I mean, will you, will you vote better? Will you get some? He's not, he's not, do, I promise he's not doing that. But I honestly, I think sometimes we think God's doing that, right? And all of a sudden you look just like the world, man. It runs around the head cut off. And he's going, hold on a second. You know, you know what's real? You know who sits on the throne? You know who the, the true president is? He's in charge of them. He put them there. The world's not going to fall apart because of a human. It's not going to change God's directive. Oh, that brings great peace and refuge, guys. 
brings great avenues to speak truth into the midst of chaos and twisted generation. Guys, I know this might sound obvious to you, but do you understand that if you're a Christian, you're going to look different than the world? Like, I, I know it sounds so Awana, and like, I've grown up, I, seriously though, like, I feel like, we're like, okay, I know Jesus said, if I trust in him and follow him, I'll be hated. Like, I know he said that, but I don't believe it'll actually happen. Like, like, do you, like, do you understand that? That, that? that you're going to look, that you're in the midst of. I love this because Paul's reiterating what Jesus prayed. Jesus didn't say, hey, hey, take him out. No, Jesus prayed, hey, don't take him out of the world, keep him there. As salt and light, cities on a hill. In the midst of a crooked generation, I want them to shine. I want them to be ambassadors of this great gospel. I want them to see something different in them. I want people to be moved and wooed by how they live and how they talk and, and how they even live in community together because it's so different from the world. This is, so if, if you don't stand out at all in your life, in your way of life, and how you live and the decisions you make, you're probably not a Christian. I mean, this isn't like I'm trying to call you out or it's just the simple truth. Like you should be working out your salvation. You should want to grow in holiness. You should want to kill the sin that's invading your life. You're not living a perfect life, but you're a trajectory of north. You stumble and fall along the way like we all do, but your life's a repentant life. Your life's a a life of confessing sin and wanting to live in the light, not living in the darkness. So I just want to encourage you, if that's you, don't buy into the deceitfulness of sin. It will start clouding your heart and you'll find yourself at a place that you never wanted to be. Where you love hiding behind your sin, you live lives in secret, you come to church, you think if I just keep coming to church at Bergen, that'll make me look good. I prayed that prayer, I remember praying that prayer. I remember the decision I made even though nothing in my life shows evidence of the decision I made. I made the decision. Oh, can I love you enough to say, consider your salvation. Consider Jesus. Just repent, confess, turn to Christ. Trust him, and then walk in newness of life. Tell someone how we can pray for you. Tell someone how we can hold you accountable and help you walk by his sustaining power. But don't stay in the darkness. It's a damning road. And if you're in here and you're just holding on to something that you did and there's no evidence of you working out your salvation, please listen. Please. I get really excited for some of you because you're the only Christian in your office. I really do. Because... What better way to stand out in the midst of it all, right? And I pray for you. I was just having a conversation before service started with a guy who's like, man, I, I, I leave Sunday, walk into my job in New York City, and it's like I'm just surrounded, right? I praise God for you. And my encouragement to you is 
just using this text, do you grumble and whine like everyone else in your office? Or do you show gratitude for what God's given you? Do you just reject authority and abuse it like everybody else in the world system? Or do you say, no, I know God put that there. That's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm obedient to the task my boss gives me. That's why I don't grumble complain to him. That's why I submit to his authority because God teaches good authority. And Jesus was perfectly submitted to his father. And I'm just imaging the Jesus who saved me and made me new. And what, a, what a great opportunity for you. I want you to see it as an advantage and an opportunity and not something you have to just suffer through. Because Jesus says, go get them. Right? Go get them. Sheep among wolves. Get out there, right? It's, it's an encouraging word. And then he, he says in here, holding fast to the word of life. Paul's saying, you do all this holding fast to, to this book, right? I mean, this is truth for you, right? This is what you stand on, right? So you take this seriously. So, so you, this type of life takes this seriously. I mean, the type of life that doesn't hold fast to the, the truth of the Bible lives in darkness, is deceived by themselves, doesn't want to walk in the light because they don't take this seriously, they don't hold fast to the word of life. So, so here's a, a very simple question. Do you read your Bible? That's it. Do you read your Bible? Not on Sunday mornings. Do you hold fast to the word of life? Because again, this, this is how this all ties together. My fear is so many people hold fast to the word of life on Sunday. And you're not even holding fast to it. You're holding fast to it through someone else who's holding fast to it. So you're, you're holding on to my coattails or somebody else's saying, yeah, I'm holding fast to the word of life. No, you're holding on to Mike Reed. Or you're holding on to Joe Smith or John, whoever it is, right? You, no, you, again, man, do you hold fast to the word of life? Do you read your Bible? Do you, do you understand what it says about salvation? Or do you just listen to what I say? I mean, listen, everything I say, go test it with the word of God. Go read it. If I'm off, come tell me, and I'll tell you you're wrong. No, no I just felt like I needed some laughter here. Okay? You know, it's like, but seriously, you know, it's like I, I, I just, I, I just, we got to be people that hold fast to the word of life. And guys, that's why we love preaching. That's why we love walking through books of the Bible. That's why we want to know what truth says. We want to know how scripture interprets itself, not just pick verses out and say, oh, we're going to salvation with fear and trembling. What is that? No, let's look at it in line of what it's, what the context, and what it's saying, what Paul's writing, and how he's encouraging believers. The idea here, by the way, of holding fast is not simply reading the Bible and knowing it, it's internalizing it. That, that, that's what he's talking about here. This is the, the James 1. You're not just a hearer, you're a doer. Listen, obedience is intrinsically tied to your knowledge. And there's no transformation if you just know and never obey. We obey because we know and we're transformed. That's part of working out your salvation with awe and reverence. And then it's interesting because he says, don't grumble and question for your sake because you're a child of God. You want to grow in godliness. Don't grumble or question for the world's sake. You want to stand out. Then he gives a third reason. We work out our salvation with awe and reverence and don't grumble and complain. Verse 16, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul knows there's a day coming. Okay, let, let's just, look, forget your church, forget just, just all, all stuff you care about, the stuff that's on your mind. Hold on. Paul knows there's a day coming where he's going to stand before the risen Christ. We all are. He knows that day's coming. And, and 
And he knows he's going to give an account for how his church worked out their salvation and how they interacted. So, so let, me, let me just say one thing. I know, okay, and I know some of you like to remind me of this. <laughs> I know that I'm going to be judged with greater strictness than you are. According to James. That's not my favorite verse in the Bible. <laughs> if I'm honest, right? So, so I know that. But, 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 but you are going to be held accountable. You're not going to be able to blame anyone on the day of Christ. You're not, you're not going to be able to say, oh, well, 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 Mike didn't tell me that. Or my friend didn't tell me that. Or my, my parent didn't tell me that. No, no. You are going to stand before God in the flesh, Jesus. You're going to give an account for your life. And Paul is here. This is, this is so amazing because Paul's saying, man, I want to see the church not grumbling and complaining, you know, not, not dividing over issues, walking stride by side for the faith of the gospel, not being rivalrous and conceited and proud. I want to be seeing them humble because, man, I want to present this church to Christ at the end of the day going, man, I, see, this is, this is what I don't want. I, I do not want, this is my, my, my heart's burning and I'm not going to do it perfectly, but, man, I do not want to hand God facetiously or metaphorically church at Burton go, hey, here's a bunch of people who kind of like you. Like, I stay awake for hours at night just thinking about that, terrified of that. I lose sleep thinking about some of you in this room. You just play church, and I know I'm going to present you and I'm thankful that, yeah, I'll be judged according to how I try to shepherd and lead and teach and preach. And I, but I also know that, that you're going to have to stand there and, and, and defend for yourself. But, but do, you, do you realize that, man, I, man, Paul is saying what any pastor or Christian wants, man. I want to see it in labor in vain. Man, I, I, man, I want to see that that church, as I, as I present, you know, Philippi, as you guys stand at the day of Christ, man, I, I want to be so proud He's not talking about arrogance. He's saying, man, I, I just want to be so proud that I, I just, I, I know, I saw you guys just laboring for the faith of the gospel. I saw the ways you guys worked and you toiled and you struggled. Man, that just made me so, so proud. I, I know that it wasn't wasted time. I know that all my prayers in prison, I know that, that my persecution, I know all that stuff wasn't in vain. Because of what is happening in you all. And here's what's so cool. Paul ends this section. We're going to end here by putting before us his example of humility in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to just, just, just lay before us as he wraps this whole thing up. Here's how I walk in humility. With Christ-like living. Verse 17. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He says, if I'm in prison, if I'm beaten, if I'm persecuted, if I suffer, if I'm hungry, and all that results from that is your faith, praise God. What a man. What a pastor. If, if, that's, if that's all that I get, 
pour my life out. I don't think I can say that. I, I pray that I'd be able to. But, but what a great thing to strive for. Paul wasn't in prison grumbling and complaining. Paul was standing firm in the midst of a twisted and crooked environment. He was walking humbly. He didn't become proud or conceited. He didn't think he deserved something different. He took the hand he was dealt. I mean, he, 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 he did everything he's writing. Like he, he was the example. He, he was working out his salvation with awe and reverence. I mean, he goes, man, I want to fight the fight. I want to finish the race. I'm not coasting. I'm not, I'm not this thing where I just like sign up for Jesus. He transforms me in Acts 9 and then I look no different. I don't work out my salvation. I, no, I want to persevere. I want to mine it all out. I mean, let's ask God to help us to do this. God, we're, we're, we're frail and perfect people that need a perfect Christ. We're thankful that you've provided that. God, there's, there's just so much weight to... Uh, the text this morning, there's so much weight and beauty to it all. and I pray we'd work out our salvation as a church. I pray we'd do it with awe and reverence, understanding the humility displayed in Jesus. I pray that you'd help us to be grateful people who don't grumble and whine. I pray you'd unify us. I pray that we look to the interests of others, not our own. God, I pray that we would want to labor in a way that we can look back and say it wasn't in vain. That the way that we spend our time, the way that we love our families, the way that we interact in marriages, it wasn't in vain. God, there's a lot of ways that we daily live vain lives, filled with empty glory, that have no meaning for eternity. God, help us to know and see those spots by your grace. God, help those of us in this room who, who know you and love you and are, and are adopted by your son Jesus. Thank you for being the righteousness we could never be and, and taking and paying for the debt we could never pay. God, help us to continue to work out our salvation, to persevere, to walk, to fight sin. God, for those in this room who do not know Jesus, who are deceived by just a wanting to maybe be caught up in something that intrigues them, that, God, you bring them to a place where they truly see your holiness and their sin and your great love and your great mercy and your great kindness that's available to them. They might turn and trust in you. They might surrender their lives, maybe truly for the first time this morning. And you might begin the good work that you start today in them. And they might hold to the promise, not of them doing it, but your power that enables us to do it. God, I pray as we observe the Lord's Supper this morning that we would consider you, your sacrifice, your body, your blood, that we would enjoy what you've done for us that enables us to live in the midst of a crooked generation standing out, shining like lights. In Jesus' name, amen.